Hi, I'm Dan Krinas, host of the Leader of Learning podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Karthik Krishnan, the Global Chief Executive Officer of Britannica Group. We talk about Britannica as the go-to destination for all learners. We also talk about what's working and not working so well in education, as well as some changes that should be made as we move beyond the pandemic. What an awesome talk. Lots to learn today. Hey, Hey, by the way, before you go, you know, it would be really, really awesome if you took a minute Open the Apple Podcast app or Google Podcast app or whatever podcast platform you're listening to me on and, uh, you know, went in there and rated and reviewed the show. Could you do that for me? That would be excellent. And then, uh, by the way, how about then sharing it and subscribing? (laughs) Thanks for listening. Enjoy. You know, a couple years ago, my my wedding band started having problems. I've had it for 34 years, and uh, it started breaking at at the backside of it. And we got it fixed a couple of different times. And then eventually, not too long ago, one of those, that backside just fell out, and it couldn't be fixed any longer. And I'm like, this is crazy. You know, I shouldn't have to deal with this. And and so anyway, then a friend told me about uh, Boone Titanium Rings, and uh, which is at booneringscom And they have this incredible selection of titanium rings. And, and uh, I now have a titanium ring as my wedding band. What's really cool is like it's an engraved ring that has uh, these cool car pistons on it and some stars. And, and the, I could have chosen from any kind of different stand, uh, styles, as well as they have all these other different types of rings, like uh, inlays that have meteorite, wood, acrylic, stone, and things like that. Like that they also make uh, carved rings and, and a, just a, an assortment of other rings that uh, are just pretty amazing. They also make pendants and cufflinks and earrings, and as well as a couple different types of tools. Um, I got to tell you something; it's really cool because this ring's not going to break, <laughs> and uh, they they'll make you happy. And uh, just as a note. Uh, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, um, they've become an affiliate sponsor for us. And so if you were to use our code, which is capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, the number 12, and uh, use that at checkout, you get 10% off your ring and uh, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 gets a commission. I think you're going to love their rings. I know I'd love mine. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Karthik Krishnan is the Global Chief Executive Officer, CEO of Britannica Group. He also is an adjunct professor at New York University's Stern Business School and is on the World Economic Forum Network as a recognized expert in education, healthcare, and media. Karthik has previously collaborated with the William J. Clinton Foundation and was recognized by former President Clinton for his leadership in launching the Urban Enterprise Initiative. He has been listed among the top 100 global influencers in EdTech by EdTech Digest. Karthik, thanks for joining me today. Say hi to everyone. Steve, great to be on your show. Well, I'm glad to have you here, and uh, you got some really cool stuff that you're up to. And before we before we uh, talk about uh, some of the topics we got for today, I I got to say this. Um, you know, I shared in your bio that you're the global chief executive officer, CEO of Britannica Group. You know, and I read an article from December 2017 from Britannica about your appointment, and this was noted in that article. 
Kristen's extensive track record, together with his proven operational expertise and dynamic leadership, makes him ideally suited to lead the company and establish it as the go-to destination for learners of all ages. Could you talk uh, about making it to the go-to destination for all learners? And also just kind of, because it's really cool, the Britannica group is, uh, you know, at one time was known as Encyclopedia Britannica. And uh, I mean, but it has all kinds of different identities under that. Can we talk about this? Sure. So Britannica group uh, comprises of Encyclopedia Britannica, Merriam-Webster, Melingo, Britannica Knowledge Systems, and Britannica Digital Learning. So these are multiple brands that we have within the portfolio. So it's a good mix of both iconic brands like uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, Merriam-Webster, and also modern brands like Morphic School and other brands that we have within the portfolio. Uh, from our perspective, uh, talking about specifically the go-to destination for all learners, our belief is that education has a start date and an end date. You graduate from high school, you graduate from college, it's education is done. Learning, on the other hand, is a lifelong process. We are all born with this innate ability to learn. Imagine being around a three-year-old. You know, he or she is never going to stop asking you questions. He or she is never going to stop from putting things in their mouth. He or she is never going to stop from touching things, right? So we sense, hear, feel, and learn. We're all born as learning machines. But as we go into a school system, that propensity to learn goes down. And we seem to be just going through the motions every single day to say, let me pass this test. Let me take this quiz. Let me study certain things. So for us, you know, particularly going into the 21st century, lifelong learning and growth mindset are key to be successful because we definitely cannot predict what's going to happen five years from now or 10 years from now. But at the same time, we still have the ability to think, learn, and evolve. So from our perspective, we want to be that umbrella of brands that supports learning every step of a person's journey from early childhood to old age. Our brand promise here is we will help you save time, learn more, be sure. So how do we deliver on that? On the consumer front, you know, we provide what is called knowledge and context. We have significant presence across search, social, video, voice, and IoT. So Britannica and Merriam-Webster put together reaches significant percentage of the population all across the world. And it's a top five reference site globally generating over 7 billion page views annually. Looking at it on the academic front, our goal is to help move into a new age curriculum, right? How do you inspire learning inside the classroom? How do you present concepts in a way where students can go from understanding concepts to experiencing to applying those concepts? So from our perspective, it's new age curriculum. Also looking at supplemental learning, right? If new age curriculum is the core, how do you build supplemental learning opportunities around it? Not everybody's going to go out and say, let me learn more about uh, centripetal force, right? I mean, you might be interested in it in terms of understanding the concept, but unless you're a race car driver or somebody who is architecting roads, you don't have to worry about banking of curves or unless you're building roller coasters. So to me, that supplemental knowledge is for people who want to go beyond the core and learn other things. And last but not the least, there might be people who are interested in a broad array of content, which means it's general reference. So our goal on the academic front is to actually have a core learning methodologies that are inspiring in the classroom that are core to learning. We build supplemental content and information around it. 
And for those who really want to expand their knowledge, we have general education or reference solutions. So we focus ultimately on two things. One, how do you elevate trusted information in the digital universe? Today, that's a huge issue with misinformation. The second area is how do you transform learning, not education, learning inside and outside classrooms? Because learning can happen anywhere. I love it. And first, I got to say this. You know, a long time ago, it was a series of books. <laughs> and, uh, you know, everybody had them on their shelves. And, uh, you know, you go to, oh, let's see, I, I need to be in, I want to look up aardvarks. So we're going to start over here at A. And, uh, and then there was the updates that came and there were other supplements and so forth. It's come a long way since then with all this digital world and just the cool stuff that uh, everything from, you know, film clips to uh, sound, um, sound clips of, uh, you know, people in history and things like this. Just amazing what, uh, um, what, and then to hear all those other brands that are now part of the Britannica group as well, which uh, just really, that's so, that's so cool. And I appreciate you talking about that because it is, uh, you know, it, we're constantly looking for that type of information to help us. And uh, um, so good stuff. So I wish you, that, that's, that's it. Sorry, I'm a little goofy right now because I'm talking to the CEO of the company. <laughs> but Steve, you bring up a very interesting point, right? So what we find is that we take what is called the medium agnostic approach to information. Because ultimately, you might be consuming information 20 years ago in print. Today, it might be Bluetooth and a device like this, which is your iPhone that is sitting next to you. Five years from now, it could be a membrane that's attached to your skin through which you could be consuming information. What hasn't changed is the fact that people do need information and having the right information helps you make the right choices and puts you on a learning journey. So from our perspective, we have what is called the medium agnostic approach to learning. If you have to serve you in print and there is a way for us to do it efficiently, we'll do it. If you would like to have a conversation with your microwave oven with internet of things, and you can actually talk to those devices, we will be that brand that provides you reliable information using that source. Ultimately, our thing is driven by one of the key words listed in the preface of Britannica from 252 years ago, almost 253 years ago. Paper was expensive. The United States had not been formed yet. French Revolution had not happened. The founders could have written anything when they were actually creating Encyclopedia Britannica. The first word in the preface is the word utility, and it's all caps. It says utility ought to be the principal intention of any publication. Second sentence, wherein this utility does not appear, plainly appear, neither the book nor the authors have the smallest claim to the approbation of mankind. Today, you and I talk about use cases. They had that 253 years ago. That is that purity of that vision so we will be that brand, you know, whether it's 100 years from now, that you can trust for us to provide you information in ways that are meaningful. And we do not even know how we will be providing that information because it could be that membrane that we talked about, but we will be there. Love it. I love it. This is awesome. And that's so cool that they, you know, they had that foresight back then because, you know, obviously, you know, the, one of the most glaring timeframes in the, in, you know, when everything was paper was that obviously they had to keep doing the updates and, and uh, especially when we're talking about in the 60s, when suddenly, you know, one year we're not at the moon and the next year we're at the moon, you know, so. Exactly. Um, but good stuff. So thank you. I, you know, you do a lot of different things. You serve on different boards and such. And one of the things you do is you have some work with something called Urban Upbound. Could you talk about that? Urban Upbound is a great organization. It's a nonprofit that's committed to transforming lives of people in public housing. 
Imagine being in New York, a family of four or five living on a salary of $20,000. It doesn't go that far. So our mission as part of Urban Upbound is to tackle poverty and change lives. And how do we do this, right? We actually daisy chain four key initiatives. The first one is jobs training and placement. How do you get parents into jobs? How do you help them with skills-based job development? Because a lot of the city jobs require people to be hired locally, but the parents or the people there in that community might not have the skills. So now if you're able to help them acquire those skills and get them into a job, then it makes life a lot easier. The second one we focus on is once you have the parents situated, financial fitness. A lot of these people could not walk into a bank and open an account because they were part of the underbank communities. So we actually worked to create a federal credit union for the underserved community in that region. So now we are also able to help them with the financial fitness kind of things that help them with small loans, including people being able to buy homes down the line based on the credit history that they've built. The third piece is now, once you have the parents situated and they're doing well, we start focusing on children as well. How do you get them excited about learning? How do you help them understand that if you stick to school and have a bigger purpose, you could go to an NYU, Columbia, Princeton, all these colleges that are around the places that you are in, and we plant that seed. In addition to them, we help them with free SAT prep. We help them with their college applications. Even though we don't provide financial aid, we help them apply for certain types of financial aid that they would be qualified for. And then finally, we also focus on community revitalization. How do you make that neighborhood a lot more safe? How do you get liquor out? How do you get the payday lenders out of that community? How do you help small businesses? Can you actually help their entrepreneurial pursuits? So those are the four key initiatives, starting with job training, financial fitness, college access, and community revitalization. We feel that by daisy chaining all these things, we are able to have a significant impact on the population. I mean, the stories are amazing. You know, I've had families who've gone on to not only getting their first job, to buying their first home, to students who have graduated from families that have never had anybody even pass high school. And some of these young talent have gone on to become investment bankers at some of the top brands in New York City. So overall, you know, we are very excited about the work we do. And our goal is to ensure that, you know, people have opportunities in life and how do you make it happen at scale? That's excellent. I love it. The, uh, and just, just simply keying in on what you talked about in the understanding how banking works, understanding, uh, you know, this, how to deal with what the money needs, you know, how you, how you deal with your money that you're bringing in and, and trying to build it and grow it and so forth. Just uh, skills like that, that uh, having the opportunity to learn that and where it can take a family and, and as they understand those skills, just every, every aspect of that. Very cool. Well, thank you. I, it's awesome. I appreciate you sharing. I, it, Let's, let's start talking a little bit about education, all right? Because that's part of what we're, our focus today. So let's shift over to this. Uh, it, let's talk about the current educational model of public schools. You know, is that educational model, you know, and forgetting, kind of putting COVID-19 aside for a little bit, mm-hmm. um, which I, I, I recently said to somebody, I was talking about some stuff that they do, and they said, oh, that's so, that, that's so 2019. <laughs> and I because it's meaning all before COVID, <laughs> because now they have to behave differently, which I thought was funny. But, you know, is the current educational model of public schools working? And if not, what do you think needs to change and how can we drive this transformation? Wow, that's a pretty loaded question. But I'll try my best. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
would say that, you know, the current education model that has really served us well for decades is kind of losing its transformative powers. Uh, the relevance of today's education to meet 21st century demands and the rising cost of education, right, leading to poor ROI really indicates that we may be burning the candles at both ends. Let me take a tackle on these two issues, right? First is on the relevance front. I probably use a few metrics to define relevance. The first question I ask myself is, is the education model today helping students transition seamlessly from studying to working? There have been multiple studies and a lot of it indicates that 40% to 50% of the students believe that schools are not really helping them prepare for life ahead. The second one is, is the education model today helping students prepare for jobs that have not been defined yet? Because according to one of the World Economic Forum reports, it says that you know 65% of the jobs, it could be 60% or 70%, right? So jobs that the elementary school students of today are gonna have have not been defined yet. So in this kind of an environment, what are we doing in the school system that is really helping them prepare for those jobs? The traditional education model in most cases creates what's called a fixed mindset. I learn a lot of things in school. I wanna use those things to apply it in a context. In a stable world, that path does work. But in a 21st century world, are we really preparing our students for jobs that have not existed, that do not exist today. The third one is, is the current education model really helping students compete against smart machines for jobs? Because anything that's repetitive and can be standardized is gonna be done by a machine a lot faster, a lot more efficiently and a lot quicker than you and I will ever be able to do. So when I ask myself these questions, I personally feel that you know, our education system has been magical, right? It has actually lifted a number of people out of poverty. In fact, education has been the shortest bridge between the haves and the have-nots. It has been the greatest social equalizer that we've actually found. But that model that worked for us for like 40, 50 plus years is slowly losing its sheen. And we have an opportunity to reset. Right now, the path from education to employability, to economic independence is broken. And especially in a knowledge economy, I think education is probably one of the most important things for people to be successful in today's world. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, how do we all work together? Because it's not just one person's problem. It's a policy issue, it's a teacher issue, it's a parent issue, it's a student issue, it's a life issue. How do we all work together to reset education and reshape it from a path to disappointment to a path to prosperity. So that's the answer to the question on, is it working? And in terms of how do we change it? That's again, you know, again, I can sit here and uh, play armchair politics or <laughs> sit there and have some moments, but here are some ideas. The first one is how do we shift from education to learning? Education is extrinsic. It's driven by a curriculum. Learning, on the other hand, is intrinsic and it's driven by curiosity. So if you approach things from the point of view of learning, everything's become simpler. You're not just going in there to get a grade and a certificate. You're focusing on acquiring skills and experiences that will help you be successful not only today, but allow you to build on those skills as you go into the future and the world changes. 
So that kind of led into the second piece. You know, the emphasis needs to be more on skills and experiences and discovery of knowledge as opposed to memorization of knowledge. So how do we go from skills and experiences uh, to skills and experiences, then focusing on grades and certificates? The third one is how do we focus on whole human development? You and I went to a school system where the teacher was a sage on the stage providing us a lot of information. We absorbed knowledge, right? We held on to it. Knowledge was power. But today, most of us have a device somewhere within a feet from ourselves, right? Through which you can look up any information that you want. So in this kind of a world, IQ alone is not gonna be sufficient. It has to be a combination of IQ, or EQ, which is emotional intelligence or emotional quotient, and RQ, which is resilience quotient. So we just need to focus on developing the whole human capabilities as opposed to just focusing on one thing, which is intellectual prowess. Last but not the least, I personally believe that, you know, we have so much of technology and other things that are out there today. This is really gonna help us switch from a one size fits all mass production model of education to a mass personalization of learning. So to me, if it can blend the best of what has worked for us in the past and integrate it with a new way of thinking on where the world needs to go and leverage all the technology that we have today, including amazing things like AI, we truly have an opportunity to reshape that learning experience so that we can help students go from how do I think, learn and evolve. And no matter what the world throws at them, they will be better prepared to face the future whether it's disruptive or it's promising. And so in doing so, they will be able to unleash their own potentials. I love it. I appreciate you, you, you looking at that. Cause it's, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, um, you know, you want to try and get kids thinking about, you know, what is that thing that I'm thinking, you know, you, you really want them instead of tell me the right answer, you want them thinking towards, putting things together and going, you know, how can I fit into this, this world that's coming and stuff like this? And not, not thinking there's always this one right answer or something like that. And that's the big part of all this. And it, and it's, you know, it's difficult as, you know, I'm a former history teacher and kids always walk into your classroom the first day of school and go, I just want to know, do we have to memorize dates for the tests? <laughs> and you know, it's like, Oh, come on. History is so much more than that. And you're going, and that's the first words out of your mouth. That's what you want to ask me. That's yes. Cause I want to know if it's on the test and you know, and it, and the whole, if it's going to be on the test mentality is what it, I mean, what I hear you saying is we got to get away from that as adults also responding, saying there's always, you know, cause that's kids think it because the, the adults say it and present it that way, that everything's about one right answer or something like that. And that's, that's not really where, you know, where we're going. And, you know, you're talking about AI and that role. I, I love that because we're in this strange world right now where uh, pretty soon I got a feeling we're going to have some dr trucks and buses that are going to be driving themselves I'm not so sure cars are there yet, but the, because <laughs> you got to take my car coming away from me. You know? <laughs> coming soon to a road near you for sure. <laughs> yes, exactly. So and I think you wild. bring up an interesting point. You know, I think even with a history class, right, there's so much to be learned from history. So to me, if you think about what are the reasons why human civilizations failed or why did uh, the French revolution happen, right? What, what caused the great depression? These are all great moments in history for us to learn, right? So this goes back to the whole concept of think, learn, and evolve. How do we prevent the same mistakes from happening again? So to me, if we can actually present things to students 
in this particular framework, they're not worried about just passing a grade, right? I mean, they're not asking you, hey, is it going to be on the exam? It's much more about giving them that ability to think and learn, which is something that we are innately born with. Ultimately, the purpose of education should be to instill purpose, stoke passion, and build perseverance. If you can do these three things right, they will be very successful. And it's not just the school system. Teachers can do that. Parents can do that. The community can do that. And that's what we need to do. I love it. Love it. Great stuff. So, so what, are some of the, what, what are some of the key education trends you see coming down the path here for 21? I mean, what do you think? Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, while COVID has been very disruptive, right, it has also unhinged us from some deep-seated mindsets. For example, right, we now believe that learning can happen anywhere, not just in a classroom, which has actually taken away some of the severe constraints that we had, which was location and time. So prior to COVID, right, I mean, there were still 650 million students, I think, that did not have access globally, right, to proper schools and other things. Now, the fact that they could be at home and maybe with a device, they could be studying from anywhere, right? Opens up a world of possibilities. Same thing, time constraint. If you can do both asynchronous and synchronous learning, somebody who's a morning person can actually read in the morning asynchronously. And then the classroom can happen in the afternoon when the teacher can engage. And if some of the students like to study at night, they can actually do this as well. So to me, one of the most revealing factors to me is that the location and time constraints have been just broken. Will we build on it or not is something that we need to look at. In terms of some of the key trends that I see in 2021, you know, I think uh, blended learning is here to stay. And I think it will also include what is called the flipped classroom model that we've been talking about for a long time, where you actually understand or learn that concept at home, listening to uh, Steve, on history, right, on a certain topic, but then coming back and saying, what can we learn from history? Why did the French Revolution happen? Was the economic condition so bad, people felt that uprising was the only way to do it, right? So you can actually take that learning, come back and have a discussion. The second one I'm likely to see is more of a self-paced and personalized learning. I think that's another trend that I likely to see, I would love to see. And partly because that also helps us move away from the one size fits all mass production model to a mass personalization of learning model. The third one is with so much of remote learning happening, we are starting to collect a lot more data. As you know, AI requires a lot of data. So I think AI breaking into education is gonna be another key trend that we're likely to see in 2021. And that opens up potential, including bandwidth for teachers. A good example is today, if you have 30 students in your classroom and it takes you say 10 minutes to grade a quiz or a test. So that's 300 minutes, right? And assuming Steve, you and I took a test. We both got perfect scores, right? So you'll feel that Karthik and Steve are great when it comes to some topic in history. But what if Karthik took 30 minutes to answer those 10 questions, but you only took 10 minutes? Does that give you any insight between the learning or the understanding or comprehension capabilities between these two students? Right? It does because Steve is probably right three times faster in one way, or he understands that concept so well, it doesn't take him much time to get it to execute. So with AI, you can actually start collecting all this type of information and maybe even to the point that Karthik spent 
12 minutes on the last question because he did not know how to answer that question. So now as Steve goes back into the classroom, you can focus on helping Karthik improve on that particular point. Or you might find that 30% of the students actually failed on question number five. So the teachers now can focus on not just checking the box and like getting out the grades, they can actually focus more of their time on doing things that are much more meaningful to instill that purpose that I was talking about, right? Stoking curiosity. So to me, AI is gonna be the other trend. And last but not the least, I truly hope having parents looking over Zoom and looking at how teachers are teaching and what is being taught, I truly hope we will start focusing much more on skills development and not just knowledge accum accumulation. And the last trend is gonna be early childhood education. I think the Biden-Harris administration is uh, committed to making early childhood education an opportunity for everybody. And most of us might not know, 90% of a child's brain is formed by the time somebody is five. So what happens in the first five years decides whether you have a sturdy foundation or a fragile foundation for learning, social, emotional competencies, and even health. So again, those I would say would be the five trends, blended learning models to flip classrooms, self-paced learning, personalization, AI, skills development, and early childhood education. Good stuff. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot there. And I, sorry, I didn't mean to you know, try and in one question have you solve the problems of, of the, the world. But I, I think that uh, uh, I think it is important. I mean, we see these coming. And, you know, one of the big fears is that, you know, there's a lot of people saying, can't we just return to, you know, to the way it was? And, uh, you know, and I think that's the scary thing is that do we really want to do that while we have a chance to really break that, that mold now? So uh, good stuff. I appreciate you talking about that. It's a, you know, it, one of the things that I want to make sure that, uh, um, we get into because that's kind of why I started the way I did is, you know, I understand that education equity is an area of particular importance to you. Even before the pandemic, systemic social inequalities existed on a large scale. And with this in mind, what are your thoughts on the ways that governments and educators across the world can narrow gaps and make meaningful change? Talent is normally distributed. However, opportunities are not we can all work proactively to change that. And particularly for me, Corona has exposed the digital divide in a very significant way. So from our perspective, you know, each of us can play a role, you know, whether it's government or institutions, parents, school systems, not only in terms of raising awareness, I think the awareness levels are starting to get exceedingly high. But how do you go from awareness to action to impact? I think each of us can play a role, you know, for example, as a, as a company like ours, you know, how do we start thinking about creating low bandwidth solutions? Can we develop digital offline capabilities? Can you and I donate unused smart devices to people who don't have those devices? I'm sure you have a second an iPad and a third iPad that's lying around that's not being used, right? But can we actually put those things to good use? So from my perspective, I think the pandemic has really exposed a lot of these inequalities even more, particularly on the digital divide. And each of us can do a small part to make a big difference. Of course, you know, government and businesses can play even a bigger role in terms of developing infrastructure in underserved communities. And now the fact that we've broken the space time constraint that we talked about, even some things like summer learning slump, which you're familiar with, right? When students go away for yeah. the summer and come back, there is a learning loss that happens. 
Now with all these devices, can you actually create large scale programs that students can do even during summer to actually prevent that learning slump? So to me, these are some things that we can do to really take on these kinds of uh, challenges that we're facing right now. You know, there'd be a lot of kids upset with you over that answer because they're like, take it away. I, I, yeah, summertime now, I can't, I, got, I don't need to have the teacher having a, an excuse to be able to reach me. All right. That's not, <laughs> you know, I like that though. That's, you know, as, I will wait it, for my death threats or the, uh, the email, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I feel that teachers can inspire that curiosity because learning can be fun. Learning is fun. Education is boring. So if you can start focusing on that learning aspect, I am pretty positive. You've seen that before, that uh, things will happen. So to me, I didn't talk about an education loss in the summer. It's a learning loss. If you focus on learning, people will love you for doing that. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. That's, you know, it is, it is cool because there's just different ways that we can, uh, um, you know, making that happen where, you know, with this, this, the abilities that we have now to uh, give those opportunities to continue learning. And I like that. So good stuff, but uh, sorry, I added my mind right now. The, the, uh, all of a sudden, what did you say that this means year round school? No, <laughs> no, no. That's that what you're saying. Thought. <laughs> yes. And you're saying, no, that's not what I'm saying. Year round learning though. Different. <laughs> I like that. Uh, in your opinion, what role has the pandemic played in entrenching existing inequalities? I mean, what are the key areas in which that inequality has taken root? What do you think? I would say that financial differences have been a pretty significant uh, barrier to break. And I think COVID and looking at a K-shaped recovery that everybody is talking about, I personally feel that a lot more people are going to be left behind. So I think, you know, addressing that is an important part. A second is, you know, with all the uh, social unrest and protests that we had in our country last year, uh, the racial equity seems to be an issue, right, including systemic racism. So these are things that we definitely need to address. And I think uh, a school or a learning environment really provides an opportunity for us to break away from some of the perception and create a more inclusive mindset. So to me, I think uh, definitely taking on the financial differences, bridging the digital divide, and improving equity in all situations, including inclusiveness, is going to go a long way in some of these inequalities that are taking deep root within our societies today. You know, it's interesting. You know, between this question and the last one, one of the things that comes to mind, I, I work and support uh, um, school systems that are in uh, uh, a very rural area of Georgia. And, uh, um, and one of the things that uh, came out of all this stuff is that as soon as everybody started talking about going online and doing virtual stuff, well, um, there's not a whole lot of uh, connectivity when you go into certain areas. And um, we're surrounded by large quantities of pine trees that interfere with lots of other connectivity. Mm -hmm. And so they had to start figuring out how to solve that so that kids could have uh, e even the ability to have connectivity in their homes. And it, it kind of fits with all, all of that because without solving that, you would have then those who could do and those who couldn't. And uh, the cool thing is there were a couple of companies that started putting these cool um, devices on buses and they go park the buses in a church parking lot <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and then the families could come get, uh, get online that way, which was neat. So rather unique ways of solving some of those problems. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, 
One of the major issues that I know you feel strongly about is the fact that teachers haven't been taught to teach online. It demands very different skills from classroom teaching, which, if nothing else, a year ago really showed that. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. wow. And, and it, you know, how can teachers deliver an effective, personalized approach to learning uh, remotely? And how, how do we give them the capabilities they need to serve their pupils, whether this is from uh, home or in school? I personally feel that, you know, the teacher who taught Karthik or me 20 years ago, or 25 years ago, was some of the best teachers that I had. But if you put them in today's environment, right, they might not qualify to be the best teachers. It's not because what they know and what they're teaching is changing, right? The way our children learn is changing. What they need to learn is changing. How they learn is changing. So a lot of cases, what we have not done is actually help teachers come along that journey, right? What kind of training, what kind of support have you really provided them to think about? How do I not only keep up with technology, but even new pedagogy? Because technology changes the way we can do things, right? To me, taking a printed book, scanning it into a PDF and putting it on an iPad is not digital learning. Digital substitution is not digital learning. So what teachers also need to understand is that, you know, how can I bring concepts to life in a classroom? So in a digital world, what you can do is you don't have to talk about what happened in the French Revolution, right? Maybe you start out with the George Floyd protest. And what do you think about this? Did it show you the power of organizing? Do you realize what systemic racism mean, right? Now you're able to bring something that's much more into the classroom using videos and discussion. So to me, instead of just giving them the answers and the knowledge, you can now facilitate conversation and help students think, learn, and evolve. And by making them think, you're actually seeding them ways for them to make decisions in multiple situations, instead of telling them what to do and what not to do. So to me, how can teachers be trained and provide sufficient resources, including better pay, which I'm a big, big proponent of, because ultimately, right, if I'm thinking about paying my mortgage and my telephone bills, how am I gonna inspire my students in the classroom? Because those things are happening in the back of my mind. So we need to do a better job in terms of not only making the teaching profession much more respectful, but also professionally attractive. On top of it, if we can help them, because teachers are amazing learners, they do that. On top of it, if you can expose them to things like synchronous learning, asynchronous learning, when to use it, how can you personalize learning? How do you use AI to create bandwidth for yourself? I think the world is gonna be very different. So truly I hope, you know, when we reopen schools in a way, I hope, you know, what you said before, you know, we don't go back and reset the whole thing in the way things were set before. We do think about creating different ways for students to learn. How do I teach an introvert, for example, in a classroom? He or she might not be open to asking a question. On Zoom, that same person can actually type in a question. So it opens up possibilities for us. And there are fast processors in the class. You also have reflective thinkers So to me, understanding these things and also leveraging technology to use those effectively will have a massive impact. Very cool. And I, you know, it's, it is interesting what you're talking about with, especially when, when we start thinking about, cause I had, I had lots of great teachers when I was a kid and in different ages, I had some who I think they were a little too focused on other things they had to do. Like, uh, you know, I had a, I had an uncle who uh, I always thought it was really cool that during this, now this is in the, early seventies. 
he had, uh, I always thought it was really cool that during the summertime, he drove a Pepsi truck mm-hmm. <laughs> and also worked at a, uh, something that's no longer in existence, a Montgomery Wards, which was like a Sears, which is no longer in existence like <laughs> um, yeah. in, the, in the photography department. He had a job there because he's big into slides and photography and, and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I thought that was pretty cool. And as an adult, when I became a teacher, I realized what he was doing <laughs> is his pay in those days wasn't enough to make it happen. <laughs> so it's like, I, I got to deliver sodas and I got to, I got to sell people cameras to, to make it ends meet. And, you know, today it may not be quite as bad, but it's still in today's money is, you know, it's, it's something that's got to be addressed because, you know, in many schools, you, you see the uh, teachers having to buy their own materials and things like this, if they want to go that extra edge, that extra True. level of, uh, uh, of teaching that they can do, which is, you know, something that has to be solved. Definitely. Uh, it, let's talk about something that that's, that's big, really becoming uh, very evident right now after having a year in this pandemic world that we're in. You know, the chief executive of the Learning and Work Institute in the UK recently warned that to avoid a pandemic generation, we must act swiftly to bolster lost learning and protect employment prospects. What are, what are the most pressing ways in which you think we can make meaningful changes to tackle this growing problem? Because this is something that, I mean, it's almost like uh, where I am, it's almost like, you know, you've got like two two years of kids in school that almost need to have like an asterisk next to their, <laughs> their graduating class, you know, like kind of like in baseball here, we got to put a little asterisk saying, Whoa, those were special years there. You know, <laughs> what do you, th- what do you think? Now, this is definitely a clear and present danger, right? What he defines as a pandemic generation. I think uh, even before COVID, there was something called demographic dividend. And what that means is how do you get enough value, right? After the current generation in terms of uh, productivity, social impact, and other things. So even prior to the pandemic, three out of four children in most of the developing countries were at risk of not being in education, not being in employment, or not being in training. In the OECD countries, that risk was about one in five. But with the pandemic, those numbers have gone really, uh, taken a turn for the worse. So from our perspective, you know, we just need to figure out, you know, how do you prevent that learning loss? So as I said, you know, a situation like COVID is scary, but it can also be transformative. It has opened our eyes to doing things in different ways. So the question here is, you know, how do we take this learning that has happened in the last year and a half or so and translate that into impact? So one idea that I have in mind is that if there is no time constraint, we talked about it, right? Why do somebody have to go through a schooling system for nine months or 12 months to learn all that concept? You can even compress some of those things. And the fact that, you know, you can also have learning happen through the summer, we can create large scale programs that really prevents us from getting those asterisks. Because it's not about just like understanding those concepts, right? There are multiple ways in which students can still be provided that information. But how do you do that at scale? The second piece is that, you know, businesses can play a key role in terms of still providing internships, even in a remote environment to help them build on those skills that are needed. Because ultimately it goes back to how do you go from education to employability? And last but not the least, I think people even within the neighborhood taking the time to connect with students to understand what they're going through. And the communities can play a key role because in most of these communities, there are people, right? Business person to academicians, to successful politicians included, right? Are all sitting in the neighborhood from home. So what can you do within your own community to understand those challenges 
and even leverage in a lot of cases the skills and talent that you have within that community to prevent this from becoming a lost generation or a pandemic generation. I don't think we've at that point of risk yet, but if we act now, we can actually come out of this particular situation in a lot better way. Yeah, I like that, you know, because it's something we have to be aware of because it easily could, I mean, I, I appreciate the gentleman sounding the alarm because it's, it's one of the things like one of the things we've run into and in, across our nation uh, uh, is you know, the, some of the families who decided, you know, tell me when you're going to do real school and then my kids will attend, you know, instead of being in the virtual world. So, you know, you have school systems missing 35, 40% of their student population who just not showing up in the online world. And, you know, that could really impact that on down the line uh, population if we're not, if we're not figuring out how to get them um, you know, through this to say this, you know, this is real school, <laughs> you know, and this is how we're doing it now. And, uh, and uh, here's what we can learn, which is a part of teaching the adults and the educators, the teachers and the administrators, the same sort of way, like you were talking about getting this understanding of how it should be working and how it can work to uh, make things better. And just, uh, but uh, what an interesting thing. It's, uh, you know, I can, I think we can honestly say no one saw this coming, right? <laughs> it's, no, boss, but we, with the right mindset, I think these are solvable problems. And I think we have enough resources. Can we do it at scale? Probably not, right? But even if you're able to prevent this uh, pandemic generation phrase that person is using, right? Even if you can restrict it by 20% or 30%, it's better than having 100%. Yes. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> uh, you know, what, as, as we're getting close to wrapping up, one of the things I want to do, Karthik, is I want to I want to finish up kind of with a thought about uh, uh, Britan the Britannica group here just a little bit. You know, here we are, we're in 2021, which I'm not sure how we got here. I just kind of blinked. I mean, I could swear that just the other day, you know, I, was, I, I, I think I was a lot younger than I, <laughs> it's like, boom, boom, gone. But, uh, you know, here we are in 2021 and we're facing a similar problem from over 250 years ago when Britannica first launched its publishing business in order to consolidate factual information, except we're now dealing with a saturation of information rather than a scarcity of it. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting how at one time, you know, it's, you could go to specific little places to get the information that you needed. And now there's so much out there that we actually have to question what's real and what's not. You know, how does Britannica feel when, we can best equip young people with the tools they need to understand the issues facing modern society. What do you think? I think uh, at least in the last few years, the awareness around proactive misinformation has gone up pretty significantly. I think the world moved in the last 20 years from positive information to plethora of information. I mean, imagine, right? Even in the late nineties, you and I probably had to go to a library to pull up information. Yes. But today you do a search on the internet for something as simple as plastic straws and you get 2 million page views and it's going to take you a lifetime just to go through one topic, which is plastic straws. So what's happening in this world is, you know, people are saturated with so much of information that they're expecting technology to make decisions for them. So when you go to the search engine, most of us do not even look for what we're clicking on. We expect our search engines to serve our answers in the top one or two, three links, and we click on it and walk away with an answer which may or may not be true. We don't even, even pause for a second and ask ourselves the question, who wrote this article? Why did they write it, right? What are their ulterior motives? So we kind of live in that world, and the zero cost of distribution has actually 
created a tsunami of information and a lot of it is misinformation. So in this kind of a world, it's reader beware. We need to focus on how do you improve media and information literacy? It's not just for students, it's for adults, including people like you and me. I think that's the first thing that we need to do. We're all capable of critical thinking, but if we actually suspend questioning and walk away with an answer which may, may not be true, we cannot inoculate ourselves against misinformation. We have to actively question. Instead of processing, consuming a lot more information, which is what we're doing today, we also have to start processing that information. So my word is, let's spend a significant amount of time increasing our critical thinking, which you already have, bring it to the forefront. And we're all born with curiosity, which is the seed of lifelong learning. If you start asking curious questions about some of these topics that we're reading about, the answer will reveal itself. The second piece that we need to do is from a supply side dynamics, how do you cut the oxygen supply for misinformation? We can start by doing simple things like, why don't we stop posting or sharing information that we think is not true or it needs to be vetted? And ultimately, I truly hope, you know, at some point, we hold people more accountable for things that we put on the internet. When somebody litters on the street, we find people that, but there is no fine to littering on the internet from which people are consuming a lot of information and walking away with information. So to me, those are things that we can this kind of a tsunami that's out there, but reset the world because not everything about the internet and digital world is bad. But if you don't set these parameters and rules of engagement, it can become chaos. Oh, and it, it has. I think, I think we can honestly say that it has because we've, uh, there's uh, so much stuff that people will just automatically believe because it was on the internet. And, you know, it's like, really? That's, you, just, you just went out there and just said, that's, that's real because, and, and so who said it? Oh, well, K29956 said it. <laughs> it's like, wow, okay, yes, yeah, so we're good. And, you know, it's, it's just interesting because it's at such a level that, uh, um, this, this, you know, such a scary thing that, uh, we have to, we have to really teach pe people how to question some of that and how to f go back and find out and figure it out. And, and I, I think you're, I think you're right. I think one of the things that, you know, this, I think you're going to have to see some of that <laughs> to connect it with like the fining of littering, um, to figure out how to get some of that under control. Cause some of it's, it's pretty just kind of, you look at it and you go, really? That's <laughs> wow. Okay. Nice. Um, yeah, it, what do you think is, what are you most optimistic about education? I mean, what do you, what do you think? What is in the education se sector? What, what just kind of makes you go, this is cool. The opportunity to transform learning and ensuring that education is a path to prosperity than a road to disappointment. To me, I'm super excited about the opportunity to unleash student potential and shape that path from education to employability, to economic independence, because doing that right will have the single biggest impact on our collective futures. Nice. I like that. I like that a lot. So Karthik, as we're, as we're finishing up, if someone wanted to, to learn more about what you're doing and what Britannica group is doing, uh, you know, what's, what's coming down the, the road for them, where, where are you going to send them to? You got to, you want to send them to a website, you want to send them to some uh, social media pages. Where, where would you send somebody to learn more about uh, um, everything from what you're doing to the Britannica group and such? What, where would you send them? to know about the work that we're doing. 
first off, you know, there is a number of things that are out there on corporate.britannica.com where we have uh, press releases and other things that talks about the key initiatives that we are behind. And that is fairly up to date. The second one is I would say on Britannica.com, you also get information. It's called what's knowledge and context. It takes what's happening around you and provides you information on certain topics. And then the third thing that I would recommend is going on BritannicaLearn.com. And uh, there you actually have a lot of information about what Britannica is doing, particularly in the academic world, from personalized education to focusing on on early childhood learning. So you get all this information from these three sources. Awesome. Awesome. And I'll make sure that that information is in the show notes. So uh, someone who goes that page will be able to pull those up uh, right away. I, I got two quiet questions for you that uh, are questions I like to ask my guests. And the last one goes like this, Garlic. When life gets tough and you start getting so much stuff thrown at you that you may want to quit, how do you keep going? Smile and wave. Madagascar penguins. Now, I'd like to uh, dig deeper into my intrinsic motivation. And to me, what I mean by that is, you know, like take a look at the bigger purpose and think about and visualize the impact of getting this right. And a lot of times, you know, being able to focus on that higher purpose and visualizing success really helps me. And what it does is one helps me accept the current situation at hand. And when I embrace that, right, I don't have the tendency to fight it, right? I'm actually looking for incremental ways to really solve for things. And once you start solving one or two things, that energy builds up and your creative juices start flowing on. So to me, it's digging deeper into my intrinsic motivation, visualizing the bigger purpose and the impact of getting it right. And ultimately accepting what you have and looking for incremental solutions that help me even make a tangible difference and makes things even slightly better, I think really creates positive energy in the system. Excellent. I love that. Uh, great thoughts. And uh, just a side note, you, you have now reminded me about, uh, you know, yeah, some of the best philosophers in the world, the uh, Madagascar penguins, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I'm going to be, I'm going to be quoting stuff from them all day now. Thank you very much. My, <laughs> my team's going to be going, what? Here we go. Yes. Um, so last question, uh, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given a chance to say, thank you? Many teachers have shaped my thinking and instilled in me a bigger sense of purpose, right? Something that makes me not just think about myself. I mean, a lot of my teachers have helped me think about not only my family, but the community and even people I have not met. And I think they have really shaped my thinking in a big way. One of the persons that really stands tall and I remember very fondly is my high school computer teacher. Uh, his name is Mr. Kalyanam. And uh, he was a professor at a college. At that point, you know, uh, computers were pretty new in the early 90s where I was growing up in India. And uh, he was one of those people, right? Being as part of a bigger institution had access to all these things. And knowing that there was gonna be a whole need for computer trained graduates, he actually took the time to teach high school even though he was a professor at a college. So the reason why Mr. Kalyanam stands so tall for me is because he created that bridge for me to go from education to employability. He gave us the ability to think. He was not focusing on Karthik getting a grade and having a hundred on his computer science test, but he gave me that skill and that experience that helped me think and evolve. 
And finally, he brought life lessons into the classroom, not just the academic interest. So to me, that's one of the reasons why I feel he still stands tall and had a huge impact on my thinking and my life. Love it. Thank you so much. That is so cool. And it's, it's, it's neat to hear um, how different instructors, teachers, uh, professors, uh, whatever, um, whatever role they play um, can make in our lives. And I thank you so much for sharing. Uh, very cool. So, um, Carlick, this has been awesome you talking with me today. I wish you the best in all you do with uh, uh, at Britannica Group and uh, making it that uh, go-to destination for all learners, as well as I appreciate you talking with me about uh, you know, where we are with education and what steps we need to take as we, uh, as we move forward and get through so we don't have the pandemic group with the asterisk at the top and, you know, and, uh, and where it's going to go to, 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 you know, to address those inequalities and bring people together. So uh, good stuff. I, I can't thank you enough. I love your focus and um, thanks for talking with me today and wish you the best. Thank you, Steve. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends. Hey, hey, hey.